Hello, you are listening to the Carney eFree podcast. My name is Justine Cheddar, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement. If you've been following along with our church, you know that once a month we host a night of interactive teaching aimed at integrating the gospel into all of life. We take a current topic and we address how the gospel helps us think, how it helps us speak, and then act related to that topic. We always end the night with a time of Q&A, and at our last class on homosexuality, we just ran out of time to work through all of the questions, and they were all really, really good. So we won't jump into a long discussion about homosexuality tonight, so we do want to encourage you to visit carneyefree.com slash thegospeland to listen to that full teaching. So Adrian, hi and welcome. Thanks, Justine. Absolutely. So for those of who are just joining us for this podcast, would you introduce yourself? My name is Adrian Boykin, and I'm the lead pastor at Carney E. Free Church. I uh, am married to Susie, and we have two boys, Elijah and Silas. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I love to interact with cultural issues, and I love to consider how the gospel interacts with contemporary issues in a fruitful manner that we could live more holistically mm. as followers of Christ. Well, thank you for sitting down with me to work through these. I'm super excited. So before we jump in, I do want to go back a little bit and state that foundation you laid at our very first Gospel and class. Uh, you had talked about being in this, this room of grace. And so there's a couple statements that has just really been impactful for, for me to remember what does it look like. So it's, we say things like, come as you are. We can admit together I'm not fine instead of pretending that we're all fine. And then when something is wrong, we can say, me too, let's work on this together. And then vulnerability is welcome here, and you don't need a mask up, and you don't need to pretend that you are something that you are not. So Adrian, will you also take a couple minutes and just recap the last class that was in March, the gospel and homosexuality? Sure. Thank you for that recap as well. Yeah. For just the way we have all of these conversations, it yeah. seems to me, Justine, the way we have these conversations is every bit as important, if not more important, than what we say. And so living in that room of grace where it's okay to not be okay, to come as we are, to ask questions, is the right posture for followers of Christ on these conversations. The applications that we concluded our last session on, I think are worthy of us to reinforce for just a moment right now. The first one was, we must determine to follow the Bible as it speaks, Defe determined to follow the Bible. Each of these are determination statements. The number one is we, we determine to follow the Bible. And by doing that, we fight relativism. Relativism is the decision that I get to make my own, uh, I get to be my own authority as it relates to morality or truth, or maybe culture gets to be authority as it relates to morality or truth. But if you determine to follow the Bible, every time that fights relativism. Number two, determined to create safe environments, and this fights fear. You will not make any impact in any person's life who is struggling with same-sex attraction or homosexuality or many other conversations though, that could be noted, whether it be conversations related to race or gender dysphoria or many others, unless you commit yourself to creating safe environments. That fights fear and gives us an opportunity to actually converse together. Number three, determined to live and speak with integrity. 
Uh, one of the common charges today against Christians is the charge of hypocrisy. But if we determine to live and to speak with total integrity, that we seek to live in loving ways, to speak in loving ways, to um, uh, honor the Lord and what he says about our sexuality, um, whether we're heterosexual or struggling with homosexuality, you, you, you seek to honor the Lord in all of those areas, that fights the charge of hypocrisy. Number four, determine to judge ideas, not people. Anytime you get anywhere near to judging people, you're in that realm of judgmentalism where people close their ears. Their ears get stopped up and they won't listen to anything that you say. But if you're not able to judge or to discern ideas, then you have a difficult time actually con uh, contributing to this conversation. We have to be able to discern ideas, judge ideas rightly, but never judge people. I would add to that, we are never the warden over other people's behavior. That's not our job to be the warden or the policeman over other people's behavior. Ours is to differentiate between people and ideas and love people really, really, really well. Number five, determine to practice true tolerance. Uh, if you determine to practice true tolerance, um, you will really um, be able to engage these issues because you tolerate people, you respect their right to a uh, different perspective than your own. It's okay that you hold different perspectives. In fact, constitutionally in America, we would defend the right of one another to have different perspectives than, than our own. And that's true traditional tolerance. Contemporary tolerance is this idea that we all have to agree with what everyone else is saying, um, just live and let live. Um, but if you do that, then you're really not getting to uh, the heart of any matter. So we don't want to practice that kind of tolerance. We want to practice true tolerance. It fights brain damage to practice uh, true tolerance. Uh, contemporary tolerance is kind of brain damaging, I might say. Uh, number six, and finally, uh, determine to enter the mess knowing well that you are messy too. And this fights the charge of lack of compassion. There's some that would say Christians are just not compassionate as it relates to these issues of homosexuality and gender. But if you determine to enter the mess, understanding that you have all different kinds of stuff that you're struggling with too, and you're able to say, me too, I struggle also, then you'll be able to have um, conversations that are filled with compassion. Thanks for stating those. <clears throat> okay, should we launch in? Sure, happy to. <laughs> Okay, so this first section, a lot of these questions are around what should I do? So first one is uh, from parents, it seems like, and the question is, how do I talk to my kids, maybe even at what age, about our lesbian neighbors? Is it better to not expose them and say that they're just friends living together, or should we be honest and forthright about it? I think fundamentally you need to decide to be honest and forthright, but there's a time that you have to get into details. So, um, you know, for elementary school kids, it's probably not necessary to talk about that. They're probably not going to bring it up much. If they do choose to bring it up, then I think you can honestly say um, they're living together. And if the child asks, well, that's two mommies living together, can you explain that? And then you'd have to simply, um, without going into a lot of detail, explain, yeah, those are two ladies, the other are living together. 
that's uh, not what we would do. We don't believe that's what the Bible would teach us to do, but those are our neighbors and we're going to treat them with love and respect. if you're choosing when you would bring it up, I'd probably wait till fifth or sixth grade. Um, in my experience with a, a teenage boy, uh, he knew about these things. Even living in a fairly sheltered environment, he knew about these things certainly by sixth grade. And so to bring it up and even to ask the question of your teenage or pre-teenage kids, uh, do, do you know what, what, um, what it means if someone is gay? and see what they know. Mm -hmm. And then you can fill in the blanks in a uh, very clear, specific, and loving manner without going into too much detail. In general, with teenagers, they don't want to go into a lot of detail (laughs) on these conversations. Uh, You can keep it simple, respectful, Mm -hmm. loving, and say, this is what we believe the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. That's good. Next one, you explained... And again, this was in March. So uh, you had explained relational brokenness is what's happening today. So the question was, what can I do? And she says, just as a mom in Kearney, Nebraska, but what can I actually do to make a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's in reference to the Romans 1 passage in which we talk about idolatry mm-hmm. and then also the brokenness of sexuality in our world. But we oftentimes stop there in that reading of Romans 1. Romans 1 goes on to uh, God handing us over to envy and strife and anger and malice and all the things that we see in 2021 America, mm-hmm. relational brokenness. God has handed us over to that. That's where we are in America. We see it all over the place right now. And so this is a wonderful question from this person. Uh, Relational brokenness is what's happening today. What can you do as just a mom in Kearney to make a a difference? You can do the same thing that anyone could do in any other epoch of human history in any village that they lived in. (laughs) Which means we think that we have more influence because our world is so much larger, but we don't. You know, across the world, across time, someone living in a small village in rural England back in the 1500s had a very small influence on their neighbors and perhaps their workplace and their family. Mm -hmm. And um, the way they spoke about their neighbors and the way they spoke about people who they disagreed with in town. And so also do you. You have an impact on those same small groups of people by the way that you speak. Yes, speaking with truth, but even more than that, how do you speak with love and with graciousness, with winsomeness, such that people want to come back and listen to you? And when you choose to be a reconciler, Mm -hmm. you choose that I'm going to be a peacemaker, then the way you speak about contemporary issues changes completely. And that has a great impact on your kids. It has a great impact on your neighbors. I, I'll tell you that in my neighborhood, people know that I'm an evangelical pastor. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think they like me. Yeah. And it's because I speak to all of them in, in loving ways, seek to reach out to them in loving ways, uh, simple ways. And I, I, I lead with grace, lead with love. And then uh, people are willing to talk about all different kinds of things, and then we can work against that relational brokenness in our very small circles of influence. So uh, last thing on this, we have a circle of concern, which is huge, and a circle of influence, which is very small. Hmm. And choosing to focus on your circle of influence 
and um, speaking in Christ-oriented ways there can help to fight against the relational brokenness that we see everywhere, including in our families, neighborhoods, and workplaces. Mm, Yeah, that's such a great reminder. Another question had come in that was similar to that, but it was she was sharing a little bit more angst about wrestling with, is it even worth it to to bring stuff up? Is it better to just not engage? Especially when we talk about like with friends or family that's, that maybe see things differently than us. And she had specifically mentioned the public school curriculum that's coming right now in Nebraska, at least what's being discussed. And she had just said like, I mean, is it even worth it? So what yeah. do you think? Well, I think it's worth it to be an engaged member of our community, yeah. engaged in civics in the ways that we are invited to be engaged. And so with respect to the Nebraska health education standards, we are invited to offer our feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have an opinion about these things, um, then this would be a nice opportunity for you to say that opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to do so in a way that counteracts the narrative that many people have, sadly, about how Christians talk about these. Mm-hmm. And so if you choose to interact with those standards and you choose to go on their website, uh, do so in love, recognizing that these are people that are working hard for you and you can um, thank them for their commitment, thank them for their work, thank them for the elements of the Nebraska Health Standards that you can affirm, and then um, gently offer feedback on areas that you might disagree with. I think the thing that's concerning to me is the way some Christians rant and rave about these things, but then are unwilling to speak in gentle, clear manners when given an opportunity by the civic forums of our day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, to me, if, if you don't take advantage of this opportunity, then certainly you shouldn't rant about it to anyone. Um, that would be rank hypocrisy. And uh, it, it's okay to acknowledge that you can't do a lot about a lot of these things, but to the extent that we have opportunity to speak into them, I think we should. In terms of relationally speaking into these with other people who we might disagree, I I hear the questioner asking, should we wait? Mm -hmm. And I think there's wisdom there. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if I have neighbors that are living together who are heterosexual but living together, I'm not going to bring that up with them. (laughs) I'm going to develop relationship with them slowly over time, and then if they start to struggle in the relationship and they want to talk to someone, then perhaps I would have an opportunity to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You, you rank um, where you're going to um, pick your spots. Yeah. And so you don't start with these kinds of things. You just treat people as people and love them there. And slowly but surely, you move toward having more influence in their lives. Yeah, but you certainly will not have influence if you start with what people do wrong no matter what it is. Right. Well, and even just when I think about among friends, there's so much power in asking questions. So if Mm. we approach a group of friends with, I want to know why you think this way, and I want to learn about you and what's in your past. And there's just a lot of power in just approaching it that way too. I want to learn. I want to learn from you. And then now I can share a little bit more of my perspective. So it kind of puts you on even ground too, which is really, really helpful. Yeah, I'm really glad you make that point because the nature of questions is it reduces the defensiveness in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so another question 
um, this is maybe more of an opinion, so I'm curious to hear what your opinion is. A question came in is, is this really that big of a deal, or is it being blown out of proportion by social media and the news reports about politics? Does it, uh, how big of a priority does it really need to be for me or my family? Well, um, I don't know how big of a priority it needs to be for you and your family, but it is one of, uh, there are three humongous cultural issues we're facing today. Homosexuality, gender dysphoria, and race. So I personally would want to know how to speak to those from a Christian perspective with um, tremendous grace and deference to others. I don't think we want to give away the narrative on those three issues to the world as a whole. I think we as Christians want to be informed about those Hmm. and um, to speak to those from a biblically-centered worldview. Uh, I I don't know how much of a priority it needs to be in your family, but uh, these things will come up from our kids, from our neighbors, from our friends, from time to time, certainly in our schools. And when they do, you can't start studying. Mm, yeah. You have to start studying before they do. Yeah. And, um, and, and if you do, then you have a, an opportunity on some occasions to make a real impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Uh, last question in this category. Uh, the question was, what do you say to the people who are Christians and heterosexual but who are actively advocating for the LGBTQ plus community? I would ask, number one, what are you advocating for? Okay, there could be something that is worthwhile that they're advocating for um, the end of oppression. If, if someone has been oppressed and they want to stand up for, for someone who's been oppressed, uh, Scripture tells us repeatedly to stand up on behalf of the oppressed. And I certainly don't want anyone in the LGBTQ community to be oppressed. Absolutely not. We don't want that for anyone. Um, But then number two, I I would ask, in addition to that, are you advocating for um, this as a viable biblical lifestyle? Mm. Like, is that what you're saying? If you're a Christian and you're advocating for this, do you see this as a viable biblical lifestyle? And depending on how they respond to that, then I would just take them to what the Scripture says, Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 6, Mm -hmm. Romans 1, uh, 1 Timothy 1, all the passages that we mentioned during the gospel and homosexuality talk, and say, well, this is what the Bible says, so um, are you going to follow what you feel like doing or what the Bible says to do here? Hmm. Just ask the question, let it yeah, sit, absolutely. and invite people to process through that. Um, you can't force anyone toward anything, but again, if you invite people toward that destination using the Socratic method of asking good questions yeah. Yeah. and then invite them to read the scriptures for themselves, then they get the pleasure of finding the answer for themselves, which is always more yeah, powerful. Absolutely, yeah. And that goes back to that comment, the room, living in the room of grace of like, let's do this together. I don't have the right answers. You don't have the right answers. Let's figure this out together and go to the word. That's even better what you just said. Yeah. Hey, could we, 
Could we look at this together? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Right. Let's actually hash this out. I had heard a quote, I think it was Paul David Tripp, who says discipleship is, uh, it's the hitting against our confessional theology versus our functional theology. And I think when, when, I, when I read this question, I was like, gosh, to be able to get together as fellow Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and be like, let's just really figure this out together where where do I need to grow? Where do I need to grow in my theology? And let's just figure it out together. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just, it's, good. it's, it's good. important, mm-hmm. I think, especially yeah. when we talk about things that are hard. Yeah, that's great. Okay, next section, I, I kind of labeled this, what about God and sin? So these, ca- these questions are more under that category. So first is why God cares about what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own bedroom. Yeah, I'm, that's a that's a fair question. I appreciate nice. I the um, compassion in that mm-hmm. question. I, I empathize with that. I think I would look more macro than that. And you look macro at God's big story, starting at Genesis and going all the way to Revelation. What God is doing is seeking to create beautiful families and then beautiful communities and beautiful nations and he's seeking to extend his reign across the entire earth. And um, to him, it's not just a matter of what I do with my body. Uh, The great theologian Abraham Kuyper said 60, 70 years ago, uh, God says every square inch of this universe is mine. Mm -hmm. And so all of our decisions ultimately are to come under what God desires. And um, the why behind this is God wants to build great families. And so his ideal is children need um, a thoughtful, strong uh, provider, husband, and a thoughtful, strong provider, nurturing wife, and they need both. And out of that, uh, that's his plan for procreation and for building Uh, beautiful families that would then bless other families, that would then make communities that bless other communities and impact the the entire world. And so you have to go back again at times from a micro question like this, which again, I appreciate the compassion and the question, but go back from the micro question to the macro of what is God doing? He's blessing us in order to be a blessing to all others, and part of that means restraining Uh, some temptations that we're all going to have toward the end of his big plan. Mm -hmm. Okay, next one. One question people might have is that if homosexual activity doesn't necessarily hurt other people the way other sins might, why is it a sin? Well, again, as I just noted, God stakes claim over everything in all of creation, including our bodies. And so he created our bodies, and he's determined how we're to use our bodies. And the same very, very, very high expectations um, are given for heterosexual people. He has uh, incredibly high standards for how sexuality is used in general because it's so powerful. It's intended to be a um, symbol of the covenant between God and humanity 
that when husband and wife come together as one flesh in marriage, they're saying, I uh, receive you for life. And, and that gift is a symbol of God's covenant with humanity in marriage that all, or God's covenant with humanity that I'll have you forever. And so we think of it as an individual discrete act. But to God, this is part of the broader picture that um, he takes claim over everything that we say and we do. And sexuality is actually a big deal to God. Yeah. Uh, last one in this category. The question was, are you saying that a gay person who resists their sexual desires is forgiven just as a drunk gives up liquor? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there's a one-to-one perfect correlation there, but yeah, I, th- I think the questioner there is getting to, to the point. Um, a, a gay person who recognizes, or a same-sex attracted person who recognizes, I have this temptation to be with someone of the same sex, and I resist that. That is um, an applause-worthy spiritual move. Yep. That's a powerful step of discipleship. Yep. Much in the same way as someone who struggles with alcoholism says, no, I'm going cold turkey. I'm not um, going to any bar. I'm, I'm not going to be in a room in a party. Uh, I'm going to resist that. And that's incredible uh, praiseworthy discipleship step for, for that person. Yeah. Uh, similarly, we might say, uh, I have a temptation toward social media addiction. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to get off it altogether because yeah. when, whenever I get on social media, I feel pride and envy go through the roof. And so I'm just going to get it off it altogether. Uh, we all have to identify what are our areas of temptation that are not in line with the will of God. And it will be hard to fight against those, but God gives us the Holy Spirit to do so. Mm-hmm. He gives us the Holy Spirit who is inside of us, who is strong for us. He gives us community that we do not need to do it on our own. But yes, when a same-sex attracted person or someone who's struggled with homosexuality uh, makes that decision, it is a huge discipleship decision, and that person should be applauded for their commitment to Christ. Mm. Okay, moving into more history, and then kind of how the Bible addresses it. So first one, how can we know that homosexuality wasn't just a cultural issue in ancient times, like eating shellfish, and that such prohibition isn't outdated for modern times? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah. uh, it seems like the, the person is referring to some of the Old Testament laws, for example, the laws of kosher, that one could not eat shellfish or pork or any number of other foods uh, that we're allowed to eat now. And here's the biblical interpretation principle. There are many things from the Old Testament that Jesus says he fulfills in the New Testament, which are no longer valid for us, that he has fulfilled them. And all of the ceremonial laws that were given to Israel to make them a distinct nation from the Amorites and Amalekites and all the others, all of those laws that were made to give them, for them to be a distinct nation were fulfilled by Jesus. He said, I came and I fulfilled the law. Uh, and you see that they were fulfilled in Acts chapter 10 when Paul says, there is no unclean food, take and eat. Hmm. Okay, you can eat well, whatever you want. The, these are all fulfilled. So all the ceremonial laws related to sacrifice system and kosher laws and ceremonial cleansing from the baptismal system of the Old Testament, all of that has been fulfilled. It was specifically for Israel to make it a distinct nation from the people around them. 
Um, this is not one of those. The reason we know this is not one of those is because it's restated on three different occasions in the New Testament. So you find no place in the New Testament where it says you can't eat shellfish, you can't eat pork. But you see a prohibition against homosexual behavior in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, and then you see it repeated in the New Testament in both Corinthians and in Romans and actually in 1 Timothy as well. So this is not what you would call a ceremonial law. This is what you would call a moral law. And the moral laws far from the Old Testament are reaffirmed in the New Testament. Hmm. Good, that was good clarification. Uh, was the word homosexuality a word really used in biblical times? Was it known or was it hidden culturally? Yeah, I think this is something that uh, is really shocking when people understand it. Uh, in the Roman Empire of the world that m- the New Testament was written in, uh, homosexuality was rampant. Homosexuality was all over, and it was most certainly a word that was known, and uh, it was used in a very casual fashion. It was all over the place. And the thing that's shocking is the Apostle Paul as a persecuted Christian developing churches within the Roman Empire on three different occasions speaks against it. It was there and he spoke against it. And people sometimes ask related to this, well, why didn't Jesus directly speak against it? Well, what Jesus did is he directly affirmed that marriage is between a man and a woman. And also Jesus didn't directly speak against it because homosexuality was forbidden amongst Jews. And so Jews simply did not practice it. There were Jews that had same-sex attraction, but they didn't practice it. And so you don't need to speak to things that are not cultural issues of your day. As Jesus is speaking primarily to Jews, he doesn't need to speak to that. It's not a cultural issue in the audience that he's speaking to. But Paul did need to speak to it because it's a huge cultural issue in his day. Okay, uh, last question in this category. How should the church have handled the AIDS epidemic? I would say um, the, that's a great question. Yeah. That is such a, such a great question. Um, the church should have listened. Just stop. Yeah. Be quiet for a while and listen to um, gay people in their sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, l- listen to scientists as it relates to the multiple causes of AIDS and HIV. Um, But as the gay community was affected uh, so horribly in the 1980s and 90s, um, we could have done what Mother Teresa did, which was establish the very first home for caring for um, AIDS patients who were dying in New York. She established that. Uh, That would have been good. And and, and many churches did these things, we we need to say. I mean, I'm, I'm weary of how should the church as if all the church responded in some monolithic way. Um, uh, The headlines don't necessarily reveal the reality. And um, many churches responded beautifully. But as a whole, the church could have responded with more listening and more compassion and then proactive service to people who are dying. Like if you want to affect people, um, care for them while they're dying. (laughs) Uh, I I think that would have been uh, really wonderful. 
and would have made a huge impact not only on the gay community but also on the way Christians are perceived to this day. Part of the way Christians are perceived is sadly as homophobic and some of that has its roots in the way Christians responded during the AIDS epidemic. I just listened to a podcast with the World Vision, um, I don't remember a director or whatever his role is, but he was sharing when he was over in Africa and the response when he was like, okay, we need to address this AIDS issue. And he's like, as it was unfolding, the response that a lot of people had to him was, this is a G-rated organization, family-based organization, and that's an R-rated issue. And I just broke my heart because I was thinking, there's people on the other side of that. Like, we're talking about flesh. Like, I don't know. So It seems that many of us think that if we're serving someone who is struggling, we're somehow condoning everything that they have done. Yeah, right. But I serve my kids. Right. And I serve others on staff, and others on staff serve me, and people in our church serve me. And I, they shouldn't condone everything that I've said or thought or done over my yep. life. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to get to this point of deeper thinking, mm-hmm. deeper, more reasonable thinking that I can love and serve people without condoning everything that they do. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, yeah, enough said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Um, we just really have a couple left, so we're doing pretty good here. Uh, This last one is uh, in the category of just for someone that I love. So the question says, how do I talk to my friend about this if he is a Christian, but he's openly gay and acting on it because he doesn't want to end up alone and he doesn't believe that God wants him to end up alone? So Adrian, can you actually do... Address the first one. So talk to the the question asker, the one that like, this is my friend. But then would you mind just touching on for the friend? Like, what would you say to him or her? The one who is acting on it, who believes that. Yeah. Do you mind doing those sure. in two sets? Sure. I think there's kind of two things there. Sure. That's a good question, Justine. Yeah, I appreciate the tone of this question as well. Yeah. There's some really, really great questions from our church. Very yeah. intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate. Um, I think for this Christian, uh, the first thing is you want to try to stay in their life and uh, listen well to their story, but also let them know that you care about them and you're not going to run away from them as it relates to this issue, Uh, because that's obviously the fear. And part of what the gay community is known for is, is really providing great community. And so to recognize that, um, is a fundamental human need. Mm-hmm. It's an absolutely fundamental human need as we were created by God. And so we as Christians, if we're serious about helping people who struggle in this area, we're going to be a part of uh, helping to develop good community. And so to the extent that this Christian cut can do that, to consistently care and to find other points of reference as well, not to focus specifically on this, but other areas of commonality, and to care for that person um, and to stay in their life and to listen. I, I, I would say, you know, that's what you do for any friend. And um, that's what you do for friends who are struggling in any number of different areas. So do that in this situation. Uh, to the individual who wants to believe um, in God and wants to trust God, but just can't believe that God wants them to end up alone. Again, I have complete 
sympathy for that. And uh, the answer to that biblically is very, very countercultural. And it's, it goes something like this. We idolize having a partner. We idolize being married. God does not. So in the scriptural schema of things, uh, there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Singles are every bit as valuable. In fact, the Bible even says singles can serve more for the kingdom of God than couples can. 1 Corinthians 7 says that explicitly. So in no way by being a single person who is um, part of the church, part of a biblical community, are you second class? Okay, that's, that's a starting point. Now, I, I recognize there's this deep emotional need for connection, for community, for not being alone, and that's good. That's God-given. So let's work toward getting you that. Let's do everything we can to, to get you in a community that will be loving and supportive with you right where you are as you seek to follow Christ more and more, just as I seek to follow Christ more and more. But, but please hear me, no person is meant to satisfy you, and no person can fill the God-shaped void in your heart. It's impossible. And to the extent that we uh, today in 2021 idolize having a person in our lives, a partner, we just have to admit that that's a non-biblical perspective. And so uh, what Jesus would invite you to, young man, <laughs> in this situation, what he'd invite you to is a community in which you would potentially give up what naturally seems right to you sexually so that you could enter into a community. And as you did so, you'd be uh, loved and enveloped and you would uh, find far more from that community in terms of friendship and support and growth together than what you gave up. And that's exactly what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, that if you uh, give up something for me, I will reward you a hundred times more, not only in the age to come, but also in this present age. And then what I heard as someone who is married and who has kids as I heard the other side, too, of I better get serious about inviting them into our family. Mm. Let's welcome mm-hmm. them in and give them a family. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. alone, being lonely is so real. And so also being being faithful to invite anyone who's alone in. Yeah, that's so good, Justine. It strikes me that like if I had a friend who was a man who was living with his girlfriend, and I said to him, y- y- you know that this is not what God wants for you. And he says, well, I, I can't afford it any other way. Uh-huh. I, I, I can't afford it financially any other way. Mm-hmm. Would I have the Christian um, courage in that moment to say, you know what? I have another room in my house. Why don't you come stay with us? Yeah. I mean, that's what you're talking about, Justine. Yes, yeah. For someone who actually says, yes, I want to follow Christ in this as difficult as it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, help him remove the obstacles. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, last question. This is more miscellaneous, so a little bit of a right turn here, but how does this all similarly or differently apply to individuals who identify as transgender? That's a great question, and um, we will talk about the gospel and gender dysphoria in the early fall, probably in August, I think is when it's currently slated, but it's 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 really two different issues. It's lumped together in the cultural conversation, obviously under the banner of LGBTQ. But it's it's different because um, by definition, 
people who are struggling with transgender feel like they have, or with gender dysphoria rather, feel like there's a mismatch between their God-given physical sexual characteristics, the body that they have, and their human psychology, the, the way they see themselves, the way they think about themselves mentally and psychologically on a day-in and day-out basis. There's a disconnect, a dysphoria between those two. That has to do with gender. Uh, homosexuality has to do with sexual preference. This is who I'm sexually attracted to. The transgender piece really isn't about that. It's not about who you're attracted to. It's about how you see yourself. And do you feel like you're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body, mm -hmm. the, that kind of thing. Much, much more could be said about that. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that another day. Yeah. But it's it is helpful. This is a very good question. It is yeah. helpful to be able to to understand those two different definitions and how it relates to two different people, two different groups of people that are, I think, unfortunately, lumped together under a common banner and a huge cultural movement uh, today. Great. Well, thank you again, Adrian, for sitting down um, and talking to us through these questions. It was so helpful. It's just really helpful. And listeners, we just want to encourage you as well. Don't let the conversation end here. Gather your friends and your family and your community and just continue to, to talk about it. Learn together. Go to the Word. Go to Trusted Resources. Um, but we also would love to invite you and have you join us for our upcoming gospel and classes. And so you can check out carneyefree.com for those dates and the topics that are coming. Thank you so much for joining us today.